Good afternoon. My name is Joe Dworsky. Welcome to Freedom to Buy, presented each week by Supernet, which is the only payment network that enables credit card payments for the cannabis industry. Uh, each week, our podcast will take you behind the scenes in banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate our listeners like yourself on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest is a Los Angeles-based attorney who guides multi-state operators in the cannabis industry in their expansion into new markets across the U.S. Welcome on the show today, Sahar Aine Sazin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely thrilled to be here and you know chat all things cannabis and uh, delve into into the world of payments therein. Oh, that's great. Well, we're, we're happy to have you on here. Can you give a little background? I know for our listeners, uh, they might not be familiar with Vicente, but as a partner uh, heading up the cannabis group. The entire firm actually really started on cannabis. I think we are one of, if not the largest cannabis-specific law firm in the country at this point. began in 2010 in Denver, um, our founding partners actually wrote the legalization laws in Colorado, uh, which have really served as the model for adult use legalization around the country. Since then, we have expanded nationally, have offices now in, let me see if I can rattle them all off, Denver, Austin, Boston, New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, Florida, Michigan, Midwest. Um, so I guess it's all the states that, for the most part, it sounds like all, all cannabis-friendly uh, states that have some form of legalization. Yeah, and we don't have an office in the state. We definitely have some kind of presence there. And so we really serve, I would say, the entirety of the needs of the cannabis, hemp, and emerging markets, uh, in emerging industries markets. So ranging from, of course, our really stellar licensing program, which has a reputation for winning some of the most competitive licenses around the country, to our regulatory program, which you know will help you get the license and then will help you keep it as well to ensure that you're being fully compliant. My own wheelhouse is uh, the corporate transactions groups, you know, everything from startup to financing, M&A, eventually selling off the business or merging, and then also licensing agreements of white labeling and really everything that, that needs a, a written agreement. And I also chair the firm's banking group. So working with both operators, financial institutions, third party cash alternative payment methods to continue to chip away at the pain point that is banking within the industry. Okay. That's, that's a great overview. I appreciate that. Uh, talking about uh, the pain points in the banking industry, I see you know some of your background. You were with a, a payment provider uh, a prior. Can you talk about some of the pain points that you experienced in your prior life and what you're still seeing today in the cannabis uh, space, whether it's a cashless ATM, pin debit, uh, some of the, the, the pain points that uh, need to be addressed and, and overcome? Because cannabis is a Schedule One substance, 
you know, there's the federal illegality issue, which really seeps into just about every aspect of a cannabis operation or even an ancillary operation. For the most part, in the last decade or so, the industry as a whole has done an overwhelmingly amazing job at overcoming those and really meeting every hurdle and getting through it. Banking, however, continues to be a bit of a hurdle. So the core of it has been access to depository institutions. So banks and credit unions and being able to have a place to quite literally put the cash to deposit the cash. You know, we talk about the difficulties in my past life that I that really was a huge, huge difficulty back in 2016 when I first got into the cannabis industry. We have seen an increase of depository institutions that are willing to provide depository services to cannabis businesses since then. I think if you look at the FinCEN updates, there's a steady growing trend, although I think we're plateauing a little bit. So it is a little bit less difficult to get access to depository services than it used to be in 2016, but still not as easy as it should be. Uh, Those accounts tend to be a little bit more costly. There's a good amount of due diligence that has to go into them. So, you know, it's still not perfected. It's still not what you would expect to have from a quote unquote normal business. Another difficulty that we're seeing with respect to banking that's becoming more and more emerging now is access to capital. So, you know, if you're running a shoe store or a bakery or something like that, you go down to your bank that you have your business account with, you tell them, I need a loan, this is my business plan, this is what I plan to do with it and whatnot. And, you know, generally, if everything is intact and and everything looks like it should be, you have an easier time than not securing a loan, depending on the specifics. With cannabis, that's not really the case. So access to traditional business loans, a depository institution from financial institution is still very, very limited. And we're seeing debt financing really becoming one of the main mechanisms of financing in the cannabis industry more and more. So the banking issue has expanded to cover issues with respect to traditional banking loans. And then, of course, there's a pain point of figuring out cash alternative payments. Uh, Traditionally, cannabis uh, at the retail level and also at the B2B level, transactions have been performed using cash, which is clunky. It's hard to keep track and also tends to present a pretty big risk to public safety because you know we've all seen the news reports about cannabis dispensaries and retailers that have been broken into because bad actors know that there's just so much cash sitting there uh, and that you know it it could be an easy payday so the cash issue continues really to to be pretty prevalent in part because payment processing has been difficult at best for the cannabis industry. Now, when we talk about payment processing, that's payment through credit or through debit. And then there's also alternatives to that, which really are closed loop transactions. So 
the credit card networks have generally not been very fond of cannabis mm -hmm. uh, historically. They have not really been supportive of having cannabis-related transactions on their rails. We saw at the end of last year, Visa coming out with a memo specifying that they do not want cannabis-related transactions on their rails, including with respect to uh, cashless ATM, which had long been a model being used by cannabis operators. We are seeing some pin debits. And then, of course, the folks that have ATMs at their stores available. But, but the payment aspect continues to still be in an evolutionary phase. Right. Well, I can relate to that because, you know, this is the business that SuperNet's in, in, in the payment space. You know, we're building the rails initially, if you will, for the cannabis industry. So to your point about the, the major card networks not wanting to participate and, and the processors not wanting to participate. So in essence, you know, it, it, you have to have an alternative to pure credit. What we have done, and we're going to be going live, um, you know, the second half of this year, is we've created the card network, the SuperNet brand, uh, and we, we're also a processor. So we've built the rail. So we've built our own train tracks, which is a heavy lift. The train car is the SuperNet card. So we control the rails and we can determine uh, who will ride on those rails. So our goal is to, you know, roll this out and provide this uh, to the cannabis industry. Uh, the feedback, you know, thus far, you know, in all the conferences and conversations has been very, very positive. So we're hoping to, to bring this solution and address those pain points that you just outlined. Yeah, it's, it's a building of the rails. It's a building of the train. And it's also a building of the various stops on the tracks that most people don't realize is also a necessity. Yes, that is correct. I mean, my background comes from banking. You know, I joined the company. It's, you know, I'm from the banking sector versus the payment industry. Uh, the, the former other uh, executives are from the payment industry. So they are well-versed in all those pain points and, you know, what needs to be addressed. So it's an exciting, you know, opportunity and an I think it's an exciting time to be in this space, uh, given the continued growth uh, on a state-by-state -state level that, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, with each election, if you will. Now, that leads me to my next question. Can you talk about your involvement with the NCIA Banking Access Committee? Yeah. So, one of the most important ways, I think, that we can hope to get banking on board for the cannabis industry and ensure that there's long-term access that's uninterrupted is to ensure that we first and foremost have good actors within the industry. So a lot of that has been providing advice to operators and to ancillaries on how to work with their financial institutions, what to expect from them, how to approach them, and how to ensure that the relationship with them continues to grow and to flourish and essentially, you know, they don't get shut down. And it's also advising them on how to look at operators in the payment space so that they're not working with bad actors unknowingly. Okay. It, it, it really boils down to 
compliance because, you know, as we all know in cannabis, in any aspect of cannabis, it's all about compliance. Absolutely. And especially in the banking sector, anything, I mean, uh, with, with BSA, AML and so forth, CIP. It's double compliance. Yeah. So, yeah, I've always, uh, you know, recall from my days in banking, it's always about transparency with the regulators. You know, as long as you're transparent and you're forthright with the regulators to let them know what you're doing, many times uh, you'll, you'll be surprised that they'll be okay with it. As long they'll as they be understand. okay and they'll be so happy. They will be so happy to continue <laughs> talking to you. Anytime that I have a financial institution coming to me and saying, look, we're, we're looking to implement a cannabis program or we're looking to uh, grow our cannabis program, one of the first questions I'll ask them is, have you spoken with your regulators about this? And they'll say, no, you know, we're just kicking the idea around right now. We figured we'd go to them with something more solid. And my response is usually... Your next call after me should be your regulators. If you're starting to kick something around internally, kick it around with them from from the get-go so that you don't spend your time coming up with a plan that may not work for them at all. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it makes uh, the most sense. And people just have to understand that they can't be scared to have those conversations. And a lot of people are. Can you talk a little bit about banking relief? You know, obviously, we read a lot in the news about cannabis banking and, and, and regulation and approval, and then nothing happens. Do you have an inside view on how you see this playing out and how that may impact um, you know, the banking sector in, in the next uh, six to 12 months? You really can't talk about relief in the cannabis industry with respect to banking without bringing up SAFE. Right. And if SAFE passes, especially in its current iteration, I won't say that it'll solve all of our problems, but it'll solve a good chunk of our problems because the SAFE Act in its current iteration, I actually was just talking, I was just on a conversation with one of the Congress members who has been historically a huge proponent of SAFE throughout the years. SAFE in its current iteration will also allow for more lending at the institutional level to take place, or really, we hope at least it'll spurn that happening. And so with the passage of SAFE, I do think we're going to be seeing more financial institutions coming into this space, both with respect to depository services as well as lending. And I do think that we may be seeing a little bit of more openness with respect to the payment processing piece of things. If I had a crystal ball that would tell me whether SAFE was going to pass or when SAFE would eventually pass, you know, I, I would spread the news far and wide. I think I am cautiously hopeful that we're going to see the passage of SAFE sooner than later, especially because it's continuing to become a growing, a growing support issue uh, on both sides of the aisle. We're continuing to see folks on both sides of the aisle coming in and supporting this and understanding that it's a need for the industry and because it's a public safety issue, it's a need for communities as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if we can get some update on the Safe Banking Act, we're definitely going to be seeing more relief. Do you see with the Safe Banking Act Without it currently, and let's say it takes longer to get mm -hmm. you know uh, approved, 
Are you seeing more banks lending? I know the number of banks you know we're talking to, we see them taking the deposits. Everybody wants deposits in today's yeah. uh, climate. But are you seeing, and it's really a business decision that these banks are making not to provide that lending. It's not that they can't, but are you seeing an uptick given the growth in the industry without SAFE that banks are starting to lend more or they have to go the alternative route? I think we're seeing, you know, folks are more willing to think about getting into this space from the banking sector as far as lending goes. They're doing it very cautiously. They are, you know, looking more at real estate as collateral because when you think about lending to cannabis, one of the questions and risks is, well, you know, what can you collateralize? And that varies from a state to state and sometimes even a locality to locality level. Having said all of that, I do see more of an increase, but that doesn't mean that the floodgates are opening. It's, you know, financial institutions that have been in this space for a while now starting to think about, okay, maybe this makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about some of the... um... MSOs and, and, and how you um, are involved with these MSOs and, and is it nationwide? Is it more geographical? I mean, I know you've expanded to all New York, New Jersey, Florida, you're based in California. These MSOs, you being the leading cannabis uh, law firm, I would imagine um, you know, you're seeing a lot of transactions, whether it's uh, roll-ups in, this, in the space can you talk a little bit about the, the the relationship that, you know, how you work with these MSOs? A lot of these MSOs have been clients of the firm for quite a while, and they have grown with us, and really we've grown with them. So the services that we offer to them really runs the gamut, I would say, around the country. So, uh, you know, if there is a new jurisdiction opening up for licensing that they're looking at. We support them on the licensing front. Uh, If there are changes to regulations in any jurisdiction that will affect them, we'll work with them to make sure that they're ahead of that change and that they won't be negatively impacted by those changes. As far as corporate transactions go, uh, whether you know they're looking at doing white labeling or they're looking at taking on debt or you know they're looking at entering into a joint venture with someone else or doing an acquisition or something like that, all of that rolls up to us. And then on the banking side, if they are looking for a financial institution in a particular jurisdiction, we'll help them with that. And if they're looking cash alternative payment methods as well and figuring out uh, what a good option for them is will also help them figure that out. Okay. So it sounds like you're involved in all aspects of their of their business, helping them yeah. and directing them, you know, uh, where where they might need that assistance, which is which is a good good place to be. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 fun to to be able to to grow with them. It's not all legal. It's 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 business as well. It is a business com- component, if you will. It sounds like it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, business decisions are made by the business itself. That's but right. I think, given um, the foothold that we have in the industry, the history that we have in the industry, and the network that we continue to to cultivate, um, we 
can be good business advisors to them, uh, you know, within within the legal realm. Okay, great. Can you talk a little bit about debt lending? I mean, uh, I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot about debt, not for startups, if you will, but more your your cash flow positives, your operators, your MSOs, your dispensaries that have been up and running that have uh, you know positive free cash flow. It seems to be a bigger com- component from the private sector, if you will. I, I would imagine you must you know work with your MSOs, your dispensaries helping to structure these uh, these debt structures with private um, companies? So you very much hit the nail on the head there. You know, as we've discussed before, institutional lending is a little bit, is a little bit less available right now. So a lot of the lending that we are seeing are coming from private lenders, a lot of them specializing in the cannabis space, which, you know, means that you're going with a lender who understands your business more, who understands your struggle really, really well. We will work with both sides, really. So we'll work with the operators that are looking to take on uh, loans, and we'll also work with the lenders themselves and figuring out how to structure these loans. And so right now we're seeing lending available more to some of the more established folks. Uh, Definitely lenders are very interested in folks that have real estate that can be collateralized. But overall, that's it's very correct to say that we're seeing lending happening more from the private side than from the financial institution side. So it sounds like you have relationships with these private lenders in addition to your MSO. So, you know, um, you can bring the two together in addition to negotiating uh, and helping uh, negotiate the terms. That's correct. That's correct. Um, given, how many private you know, lenders are there? I'm sorry, go ahead. How many private lenders are there? Are there, um, there that specialize in the, in the cannabis industry? Do you know? I'm going to give you a very lawyerly answer there. <laughs> and say <laughs> and say that 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 depends on what we're looking when we say specializing in the industry uh i would say that there's on a the up and solid up. <laughs> on the up and up i'd say there's a good solid handful of of established lenders in the industry um that i feel comfortable uh having clients go to and that I also feel comfortable uh, working with. Okay. But, you know, they're, they're definitely there. Uh, folks that want to take on debt financing are not without solutions. It's just, you know, as with everything else in the cannabis industry, creative and can and more cannabis specific solutions. Okay, that's fair. What kind of terms? I mean, I'm asking you a a lot of questions on the business side, but I think given your background and what you're sharing with our listeners, it sounds like you're very knowledgeable. You're helping negotiate the terms that you're seeing uh, with these private lenders and the MSOs. Is it a, a fair to say that given the uh, emerging status of the cannabis industry that uh, these are more expensive in nature? Uh, can you share this, uh, you know, your knowledge of that with our audience? Yeah, I would say that on the whole, 
it's a fair assessment to expect a loan to a cannabis operator, especially a plant touching one, to be a little bit more expensive than, uh, you know, a, we'll go back to the shoe store or bakery example, a loan to one of those would be. I will say that the private lenders in this space are certainly becoming more competitive. And it also really depends on the specific deal. It depends on the specific company, on what they do, on their revenues, on the collateral that they have, on whether they are a licensed plant touching operator versus, you know, an ancillary operator that works with the cannabis space, but it's not itself involved in licensed operations. So it, it, it really it, to get to the nitty gritty of it would be a more case by case analysis. But on the whole, I think we, at least right now, can expect debt financing in the cannabis space to be a little bit more costly than it would be for, you know, a non cannabis operator. And in terms of the growth, uh, you know, with your expansion nationwide, as you continue to expand as more and more states are, you know, passing legislation, I would imagine, you know, your department's growth must be exponential as well, uh, given your uh, leadership in this space. Where are you seeing the largest growth coming from with the all these new states getting, um, you know, approved from a legislative perspective on passing you know, these marijuana laws? You know, I feel like the industry at large is, is continuing to grow. We're seeing established markets becoming settled and and growing into themselves. As far as new expansion goes, of course, the East Coast has has really been expanding quite a bit on the legislative front in the last few years or so. Of course, New York now coming online, becoming uh, a very large hub for cannabis. And I think we're also starting to see growth happening in the you know, middle of the country as well. And I think that that really is a testament to the fact that cannabis is, you know, not partisan. Cannabis is more and more accepted by all types of folks, irrespective of whether, you know, you're in the coastal big cities, you know, irrespective, I think, of the socioeconomic levels and whatnot. The legislative growth that we're seeing really speaks to the overarching and continuously growing support of cannabis throughout the country. But yeah, to, to answer that question, I would say East Coast and also the middle of the country. So I guess the California market where your base is pretty much, which was the first market for the most part that really uh, launched uh, in terms of uh, cannabis uh, uh, legalization is um, Obviously, um, I guess I shouldn't say peaked out, but you're seeing more growth uh, in these other markets, which is which is helpful. We're seeing new growth. So with respect to an established market like a California or a Colorado, the type of growth that we're seeing is more of a settling and a normalization of the market. And in terms of the 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 law firms in this space, you being the leading law firm. What would you say, you know, lawyers, uh, you know, need to know about the cannabis industry? You being an expert and, you know, running the largest practice in the country, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, law firms that want to get into it, a lot of, you know, practitioners. 
what would that be, uh, you know, that lawyers need to know about entering this space? So this is also going to be another very lawyerly response. But the best thing to know when entering into a very state by state patchwork kind of space like cannabis, that's also highly regulated. The best thing to know is what you don't know, because cannabis isn't just, you know, going to the regulations, reading the regulations, and then saying, okay, I am going to do a cannabis deal now. It is incredibly nuanced. It takes communication with the applicable regulators. It takes not just an understanding of the regulations as they're written on paper, but how they are implemented. And it also takes an understanding of the market at large because you know some of the deal terms that you'll expect in other industries and will be very normal in cannabis may be a little bit different or you know not really existent and so it's important to know what gaps there are in your knowledge what gaps there are in your understanding so that you can seek out that information that was a good, that was a good, uh, as you say, loyally answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was very good uh, and, and helpful. I mean, it, it's informative to me and I hope it's, and I believe it's informative uh, for our listeners as well. And, and that's why I'm asking the question. Well, this has been great, Sahar. I really appreciate you uh, joining us this afternoon to take time out of your busy day to give us, uh, you know, and our listeners a, a nice high-level overview of what you're doing uh, at Vincente. Uh, once again, uh, you know, we appreciate you joining the show, and uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to Freedom to Buy, uh, presented by Supernet. You can learn more about our payment network by visiting our website at supernet.ai. And going forward, you can listen to all of our episodes on Cannabis Radio. Uh, You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, Please join us uh, next week uh, as we'll continue to explore the areas of uh, payments, uh, banking, technology, Uh, for the cannabis industry. Thank you for your time and have a great afternoon.